0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The New P&L, Principles and Leadership in Business, the podcast series. I'm Paul, host of The New P&L, and I'm very grateful you've taken the time to join us today. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify or another platform and you like what you hear, please do take a moment to review us. It all helps with our ratings and our rankings. And if you'd like to ensure you never miss another episode of The New P&L, and just go to principlesandleadership.com and subscribe. We'd love to have you as part of our community. We believe business needs a new PL, one that is as much focused on principles and leadership as it is on profit and loss, because we know if your principles are right and aligned with your purpose, and your leadership has a clear vision and focus and strength and empathy, then your business will be in profit and not loss in so many ways. So this week, I have the pleasure of welcoming author of best-selling book Ego: Get Over Yourself and Lead, and leadership expert coach Mary Gregory. So Mary, a very warm welcome to the new PNL. Thanks for taking the time to join us.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: Thank you. Um, I think it would be great to start the podcast with you giving listeners a bit of an overview of what you do and who you do it
1: for. Yes, so I'm an executive coach and I'm also a leadership consultant. And what that means in practice is that I work with leaders within organizations, either coaching them on a one to one basis or designing and developing leadership programs to help them grow and develop as leaders. And uh, the particular leaders that I, I tend to find myself working with are those who are at the senior level in the organization, so from CEO downwards, really. But particularly those that are leading complex change. And you could say who isn't these days, but, you know, it is a growing area that that organizations are leading change. And um, but the particular area I focus with them is around how they manage themselves and how they manage their relationships through that change, helping them build their confidence with know setting out their stall and also encouraging and engaging other people to come with them and managing those people issues around encouraging people to come with them on that change journey um so so and all of that is really on the back of my commitment to wanting to create organizations where people thrive and can be their Mm -hmm. best and i think Mm -hmm. that that starts with how leaders show up
0: so what defines great leadership then to sort of start the The conversation in your mind, what are those characteristics, what are those definitions of of great leaders that enable empowerment and enable people to thrive?
1: Yeah, well, I think it has definitely changed over the years and particularly as the world has become more complex and much more fast paced when it comes to change. There is a real difference in terms of what is required of leadership these days than what might have been required um, 20 years ago even Um, and so I think that what is really coming through strongly now in terms of what creates a great leader is someone who really can create the circumstances where people feel okay with themselves and they feel okay to bring their full selves to work Um, you know in these times of great change organizations and leaders within them within them are always talking to me about the need to be innovative the need to keep um, building on what they've created but you know making it even better etc and being even more tuned into customer needs well if you want to create an innovative workplace you've got to make sure that you make that a safe workplace and that starts with the relationship that leaders have with their people which also starts with the relationship they have with themselves because if you're not very comfortable with yourself you're not necessarily going to be creating comfortable relationships with your people or relationships that work so it's 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 um leaders who are prepared to do that work, to get in touch with themselves, to create those psychologically safe workplaces, but also have a vision and be willing to co-create that vision with the people that they're leading because by co-creating it with them, there's gonna be a great higher ownership of that vision and actually making sure that it gets implemented in the, work, in the first place. Um, and you know, from doing that, there's a real sense of encouraging people to really pull together Mm-hmm. to make sure that that vision can be implemented and that people come to work because it's, it's purposeful and meaningful for them if they if they have have ownership of that vision
0: yeah so there are a lot of conversations out there and, and you've touched on it and that answer as well around the the importance of authenticity and leadership um yeah and I just wanted to touch on that for a moment because in my mind to be a truly authentic leader you need to be truly self-aware first because self-awareness is the the key to good all, you know, all good leadership qualities, authenticity, integrity, empathy, vision, and so on. But but many of those leaders who, or some I should say, of those leaders who claim to be self-aware still lack the ability to recognize the impact of their actions upon others, upon employees and, and other stakeholders. So in my mind, they they're not truly self-aware. So I wondered whether the the argument for authentic leadership is somewhat circular. Those who are self-aware are already on the journey to being authentic. And those who aren't self-aware will never have the self-awareness to demonstrate authenticity.
1: Well, I think there's there's something there about, I think you have to want to be self-aware. You've got to, to have some sort of drive to learn about yourself and to appreciate the impact you have on others. And I think more and more organizations are looking for leaders that have those qualities and have that willingness. So there's this kind of a hunger to be on your journey in the first place. If you want to be the best leader you can be, then there's a need to be willing to have a look at yourself and, and how you're being right now and how you might need to change. I think the thing about authenticity as well is that, um, you know, we all have moments of inauthenticity. You know, it's, it's not always possible to be authentic authentic a hundred percent of the time i'd love to be able to say that it is but as a leadership coach myself i know there are times i might well be inauthentic because that's the thing about authenticity is we don't necessarily know when we're being inauthentic it's a survival strategy it's actually usually when our ego kicks in so it's a survival strategy and we do whatever we need to do to get ourselves through that situation but we might not necessarily be being authentic in it But I also completely agree with you around self awareness. And I I feel like as as someone who develops leadership programs who works with leaders, it's almost like the one thing I keep harping on about is awareness and self awareness. because without that, you can't really do a lot else. You, you've got to start with your own self-awareness and building that up. And one way might be to have a psychometric test yes. and, and understand yourself better from that point of view. But I think there are so many other ways of building self-awareness. It's like an ongoing Um, discipline really it's like getting physically fit you're not just going to do it by one visit to the gym Mm -hmm. it's about doing it on an ongoing basis and having regular practices in place where you take time to reflect you take time to journal meditate maybe but all of that will keep building your insights and your awareness and when you're building that awareness that also supports you to develop your own authenticity absolutely but there's got to be a willingness to do it in the first place. And if you're not willing to do it, then I would be questioning why why are you so keen to be a leader or to step up as a leader in an organization?
0: Yeah. You mention in your book or you talk in your book a lot about responsibility and the the personal responsibility a a great leader must take. Um, You've talked in your previous answer just now about uh, collaboratively building that vision for a business and leaders working with their teams. How do you, how does a leader reconcile responsibility and the delivery of autonomy, empowerment and delegation within that organisation? How do they balance those two sides of the coin if indeed they are two sides?
1: Well, I, I think for me that, that responsibility is not just on one person's shoulders. Yeah, the responsibility is different to accountability. So I might be accountable for certain results But then we're all responsible for how we conduct ourselves in this organization. And as a leader, I should be much more aware of that because I'm a role model and I'll be influencing and impacting people's behaviors around me beyond any level of consciousness I might have. So this this kind of we're all we all have a responsibility in terms of how we show up and how we behave Mm -hmm. and how we contribute to the results that we achieve. And that is different to accountability so i'm not sure i'm asking your answering your question there but um to reconcile it i think as a leader it's being conscious that the more senior you get in an organization the more visible you are you might not feel that but people will notice you they'll notice you when you walk into the office they'll notice when you park your car in the car park they will know when you're around the more senior you get and that that illustrates the impact you have and um you know, the whole thing about not being conscious of your impact, it's, you know, as a leader, if you're on your journey and you're growing and you're becoming more self-aware, it is a responsibility to notice how you're impacting. And, 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 you know, we're all human. We're not going to notice every single bit of impact we have 100% of the time, but it's, it's, on, that, it's on that intentional path of growing and learning. that perspective does that make sense
0: it does and it's a you raise a really interesting point because i was just thinking when you were answering about do you think part of the challenge we have with the acceptance and and embrace of responsibility across an organization is there is too much emphasis on leadership as a as a noun so people are leaders as opposed to leading as a verb so anyone can lead and you don't have to be leader in the traditional sense you don't have to be senior management or above to be a leader you can take a lead on a project you can take a lead in the in a particular department you can take a lead in conversations every day and and that's that's taking responsibility at a very at a very micro level if you like rather than always abdicating responsibility to someone in what we would consider a traditional leadership role
1: yes i i I totally concur with that i actually think that we are we are all leaders potentially we're leaders in our lives you know i'm a parent i don't know whether you're a parent many of the people listening will be parents you're certainly leaders as a parent because you're influencing the children that you're bringing up and leadership is in essence about influencing and and the difference you're making to other people and, and how you might be shaping their view of the world or what or their experience of the world not just their view of the world but their experience so we are all potentially leaders Mm. and I think again that for me is something that for today's leader it's about how can you unlock that leadership potential within the people that you're leading yes Um, and isn't that phenomenal to be able to do that you know particularly in these times of complex change where you know One person having all the answers is not the solution anymore. It's about how do we grow those answers and innovate solutions that we might never even explore before. And we can only do that by unlocking the potential of the people that we're working with.
0: Yeah. On that point, for the foreseeable future, employees, particularly in service-led organisations, are going to be largely working from home uh, and for some time, I think. Some articles and commentators out there would suggest that that requires a new form of sort of digitally led leadership, if you like, to maintain culture and collaboration and a common sense of purpose in a more remote remote world. In your view, does the situation we currently face, does it change the leadership dynamic in terms of the way leaders work with their employees? And if it does, what are the characteristics needed, uh, needed in this new sort of more remote world, if you like?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would be curious about how can, you know, the digital and technical world support leaders and the people in their organizations um to keep creating wonderful cultures and doing it remotely. How can you create a culture remotely rather than us being led by the technology as it were? It needs to be it needs to be people led and what works for people because people are the or who who are delivering the result ultimately. Um I think there are, it definitely has some impacts on uh, how we create our relationships and how we lead people um, in this in this remote world. There are some people who will love being remote workers. I mean, I think mm-hmm. there's some generational differences here in that those that have families, I, I recognize that when um, lockdown was happening and children were at home, that was a massive challenge from the point of view of managing boundaries and how to look after the childcare while one or both partners are also managing their day in the office, that was very challenging for for those generations who are with a family. But there's also massive advantages there in terms of having more time at home with your families. You know, we all celebrated in our house about the fact we hadn't got a massive commute. You know, normally it's an hour and a half's commute each way. So suddenly that freed up potentially three hours of our day, um, that we wouldn't have n- normally had, so, so there were some massive advantages there to to working from home. But I also noticed that, and I see this more in young in the younger population, mm-hmm. um, that work provides and work within the office provides a social connection. Yes, and. Um, you know, I've, I've got a daughter of 24. She is now working full time from home. She really misses being in the office. And I know that her, a lot of her colleagues and a lot of her peer group are the same, that mm. it's actually very getting very tiresome now that they're at home all the time. And their social life, they'd go into the office, they'd have fun in the office, seeing each other, and then they'd go out in the evenings and have fun there as well. So there's a whole social disconnect that's happening yeah. because of that. Now you're interested in, in leadership and your questions about leadership in terms of how to lead in these circumstances, there is something about how do you create those times that you're now missing mm-hmm. that when you're in the office and you're in the coffee room or you're by the water cooler, what is it's those times that are missing yeah. because people are only really seeing each other on those zoom meetings or on the telephone or whatever you know how do you make sure that those are replicated in some way and i know i know for example companies have been like the weekly quiz has come into its own hasn't it <laughs> as a way of having some more informal time with each other but it's looking for what other ways are there to build in that more casual time with each other that helps with the relationship building and the building of trust and feeling like you're part of something Yeah. whereas the risk of being remote is that it starts to feel disintegrated
0: i mean you touch on that Exact point in your book, you, you cite some Gallup survey results from 2017, and it,
1: yes, I mean, they
0: were quite scary in themselves. It suggested that just under 70% of employees are not engaged or actively disengaged within the business. Um, yeah, for many reasons now, and not, not confined to remote working, the pandemic is likely to only increase this disengagement. So, what actions from your pers- perspective could leaders take to? I guess to turn the remote working situation on its head into a positive and help this environment to re-engage some of the disengaged and also use the 30% who are engaged to to assist and support this, in, this drive. How can we turn yeah. the situation to our advantage rather than always seeing it as an issue with regards to culture and collaboration? Yeah.
1: Well, of course, crises are great bridge builders, aren't they? <laughs> you know, when, when there's something dramatic and a crisis happens, it tends to pull people together as we face the, the extraordinary circumstances. And I think that's something that this pandemic can offer, as an, or, or the, these circumstances can certainly offer as an opportunity, is how can we all pull together to, to face these, these challenging circumstances? And everybody's role is as valuable in that, As anyone else's so those people that are more disengaged it's an opportunity to really appeal to them and support them to have some input as to how can we make sure how we continue as a future as a business Mm. is going to work for all of us Um, because what engages people is feeling validated so feeling like they're recognized as somebody who's worthy and worthwhile and can make a contribution it's also knowing that they're competent and that their skills and and capabilities are valued and put to good use Mm -hmm. so that will engage people and also that social connection so being part of something being part of you know we're we're, as a species we know we like being amongst other people that's part of who we are as a species so you know making sure that Need for human connection is catered for, so I'm thinking of an example of an organisation that I've worked with who who I've observed, and I think they've handled this crisis well, well in that they're not making any redundancies, and you know that their results are reduced on what they were they were Mm -hmm. predicting their financial results. I'm, I'm saying on what they're predicting, but they've still made results they can still they're still functioning and doing pretty well as a business yeah. and i look at how they handled this crisis and from the start they had regular whole company check-ins where you know it's almost like um, companies often call it town halls don't they but it was like a town hall type event every week where the ceo was present people were updated on what was happening there was an opportunity for people to ask questions to share their concerns and anxieties and have those you know validated and and heard and 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 not responded to there and then they were responded to what the company did was they they recognized that um they didn't they 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 knew what they could be clear about and they knew what they couldn't be clear about. So they couldn't make promises that nobody would be made redundant. They couldn't make those promises. But what they did make really clear was people will be furloughed, but we're going to try and manage it really fairly. And we're going to do it on a rotational basis. Yeah. And those people that had to be furloughed were furloughed you know, for three weeks at a time and then that was swapped around and somebody else was furloughed and they went back into work. So it gave people a sense of purpose still and a sense of connection with the business and that they were contributing. And then as they've now finally got through this sort of the phase that went on into the summer and now coming into autumn, um, everyone is now back at work. And um, they've promised now that no one is going to be made redundant. Right. And they haven't made any redundant, and they're still making money. They're doing a really good job. And I think what they've done there is because of their very open, honest approach, that they also took pay cuts and the senior team took a high, a much higher percentage pay cut right. than everyone else in the business. and And again, people were consulted and involved in that decision and whether it's a good idea or not. Um, and they've really got people on board and are, are thriving, which sounds like a weird word to use. Um In these times of survival, but in terms of people's engagement and feeling valued and like they're working for an organization that values them and that is making a positive difference, yeah. they've certainly succeeded in that. And I think that's a really good example of how to handle it really.
0: Yeah, absolutely absolutely. Um, I'd love to get your view on the following. We hear a lot at the moment around, that the pandemic is a, is a once in a generation or a once in a hundred years challenge for business. And it is absolutely no doubt an enormous challenge for business and business leaders. Um, and some industries have absolutely been decimated by the last six months. And I can think of the events industry um, as one very clear example, but businesses always face challenges. And I can think back to the 2008 financial crash, which was huge in the UK, and there was no government support around that. You can go back to the to the collapse of the pound or the dot-com boom crash to the oil challenges of the 70s. Business leaders have always had to be flexible and agile and responsive to whatever the environment happens to be. And mm. I'm not doubting the scope and the challenge that we face at the moment. Um, but I just wonder whether, whether the biggest issue with what we have at the moment is the way we're defining the problem rather than the way we are reacting to it, you know. Do we need to consider the way we define the pandemic and the and the challenges it places on business, rather than thinking this is the biggest challenge we've ever faced? If you like.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose um, my thinking around that is that um, two thousand and eight was the global financial crash. Yeah. And, you know, in terms, you know, I talk about VUCA in my book, in Mm -hmm. terms of volatile uncertain, complex and ambiguous times, that's when the new normal really got embedded. And that's when businesses started taking notice of that as being the new normal. You could say this is more of the new normal and it's an evolution of the new normal. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is far more dramatic. I I must admit in my lifetime, it's probably been the biggest, um, Mm -hmm crisis that i've observed and been part of um, but but there is still something about how we respond to it yeah. that doesn't change how how we respond to this crisis is just the same as how we might respond to another crisis yes um, and you know our resilience you you talk a lot about resilience our resilience as leaders is still as important now as it was before mm-hmm. It just, in fact, it's probably even more important, but it's still the same focus, it's still the same model of resilience we need to give attention to. Yeah. Um, that hasn't necessarily changed. So how we talk about it, um, you know, it's how we position it as, as and, and I suppose what I'm thinking there is the whole thing about the word pivot, I don't know whether that's a word that's come up. To me, it's come up a lot more in my language and what I see around in my social media and things. How are you pivoting your business? It is around how do you pivot in these circumstances? You know, the, the language that we've started to learn, the things that are being successful, there are some, absolutely, there are some industries that are decimated at the moment, but that may well not be permanent. You know, I, I know people who were my background way, way back is in the travel industry. That is decimated right now. But I can imagine once all this is through people are going to be dying to go on holiday so it's like it's like you know it might be dreadful at the moment how do we navigate the bumps and the, and the storm as it were and come through prepared to be ready for the for the onslaught when it comes in terms of people wanting to go on holiday again for example yeah. and so there's something there about so what are the opportunities within these circumstances and When you also say about defining the problem, I'm reminded of the work of Bob Johansson, who wrote Leaders Make the Future. Mm -hmm. And he does a lot of work around VUCA and he talks about VUCA Prime, which is like the antidote to to VUCA. He talks about in these very complex and, and, you know, complicated circumstances that we can't necessarily have a lot of control over, where it's kind of emerging in front of us. He talks about... You don't look at problems as problems, you look at them as dilemmas. They're not necessarily going to go away, but what can you do to minimize their impact or even take advantage of the fact they're there? And the example he uses, which is not the best example because nobody can go to Disneyland at the moment or to theme parks at the moment, but he talks about Disney. And if you've ever been to Disney, they have these massive queues to get on the best rides, the most popular rides you have to queue for hours, potentially. And Disney recognized that was not going to go away. And they named it a dilemma rather than a problem because they were all, you know, they wanted, it's a nice problem to have. They wanted to have people queuing for their rides. But what they then did was they put on entertainment. They created the space around the ride so that it was interesting for people to look at while they were walking through. They created that a ticketing system where you could go and book a time slot. So you were fast tracked through the queue. All those sorts of things came out of treating the, what potentially was a problem as a dilemma. And looking at how they could minimize the impact or even take advantage of it mm-hmm. and so there's something here you know in this pandemic around how can we how can we do that you know you look at the rise, the rise I, I keep looking on my facebook feed and i keep seeing all these designer masks <laughs> and you're thinking i would never that is just so weird because yeah. a year ago you would never have even entertained looking at that but people are. that's how people are innovating
0: yep and the key the key to innovation is creativity and curiosity and yeah. uh, the key to both of those is to have a, a more diverse input into solving that dilemma or coming up with solutions to that dilemma, whatever that dilemma might be. I wonder whether when you're speaking to the leaders that you're coaching at the moment, whether there's a once in a generation opportunity to, to go back to your first answer, to, to create a genuinely collaborative approach because leaders don't have all the answers to this. and. Perhaps some of the answers to the way the business drives through this is sitting there within their organization already. They don't need to go out to look at the market. There'll be people within those organizations that have ideas, but that culture needs to be created where, where those creative inputs and those ideas are allowed to to rise to the top and flourish
1: absolutely and, and that goes back to why it's so important to make a psychologically safe environment for people mm. where you as a leader you focus on building those relationships you focus on building trust and creating trust so that you know people on the front line or closer to the front line will probably have the solutions yeah. and you've got to be able to trust them to make mistakes if needs be because it's not not always going to be 100 percent right so being able to trust them to do that and give them the freedom to do that as well, which again, people working more remotely are going to have greater levels of freedom as well. So if you're a leader who's likes to have lots of control, this is a real opportunity for you to learn about how to let go and how to trust people and let them, them, them step up and fulfill their potential.
0: The leaders that you're working with or that you have worked with in the past and they're on a journey from, Some may be on a journey from a more autocratic style, a more old-school style of leadership to a more empathetic style of leadership. Um, You may make that change within yourself as a leader. It's another thing to convince those who you lead that you are this new person, so to speak, in inverted commas. How do you change the external perception of who you are as a leader as well as changing the internal belief of who you are as a person?
1: Well, I I suppose I would say example is the greatest form of influence. So um, it won't happen on one occasion. It's about consistently um, following through and being your word, you know? So um, if if you are genuinely wanting people to take more risks, wanting to empower them, Then when mistakes happen, because they will happen, that's part of the learning process, Mm -hmm. Um, responding from the point of view of being curious, wanting to understand, wanting to learn, rather than judging and making people wrong for that. Because if you make people wrong and make them feel bad about themselves, that is not going to cut it. That will completely undermine your intention if you're trying to create a different way of leading. And you know, it is it is worth flagging. I'm trying on some new skills here. I'm gonna try and be a better listener or whatever it is you're doing, um, that is worth flagging. Yes. And you have got to be really committed to making sure you follow through on that because people will be watching and they'll be, they'll be waiting to say, oh, you said you were gonna to listen to me better but you haven't listened to me at all in this meeting. You know, so you've, there, is a, there is a need to be open and honest with each other about it. Yeah. Um, but it's about your commitment and discipline in your own development.
0: You mentioned, uh, also mentioned in your book, um, there was research conducted that found that the, the climate in which we work, so the, the culture, the physical and the emotional environment, and so on, is responsible for up to a third of an organization's results or its productivity. Yeah. So, if there are managers or leaders or employees that are listening today who perhaps work for a global business or even a national business where, let's say, the prevailing culture is negative, but they are responsible for running a department or a division or a regional office within that organisation, what can they do to create a microclimate of positivity within that larger organisation and how will they measure its success?
1: Yes, well, and I think it is really possible because I've seen it happen in organisations. I've seen some excellent team leadership going on within organisations that have quite a an autocratic culture but within the smaller teams there's some there's some really great stuff going on so I think first and foremost is focus on what you can control and influence rather than what you can't so there'll be stuff going on around the organization that you might not be able to have any say in or any influence on so focus on what there is within your own team and the things you can do Um, and actually if you start doing that you can possibly then start influencing out without even knowing that you're doing that because you're running a really great team and people are motivated then um that will get talked about and people Mm -hmm. want to come and work on your team as well so by focusing on what you can influence and control that will definitely have a a ripple effect beyond the, the confines of your team um i'd also um thinking about engaging with your team about for them what creates that positive climate so empower them to have a say in how we're going to do things around here and yeah. what works and what doesn't work for them um, and put things in place that and it's it doesn't have to be fancy highfaluting, expensive um things that you need to put in place i know one organization i you know loved working with them They were so, so positive and, you know, they just they used to have whenever a new person started or there were new people starting once a month, they had like a new starter breakfast that wasn't just for the new starters, everyone showed up. And there was a really nice breakfast and it was all about networking and mingling and getting to meet people across the organization. So they felt welcomed and they felt at home you can introduce as a team leader you have the capacity to introduce those sorts of things on your team and things that will work well and also ensuring that you are a positive role model for your team so in terms of looking after yourself your well-being your resilience you're role modeling that for your team and I've got another story to share that's helpful around this which kind well, of yeah. addresses the first point I made about um how it can uh, it can leak out across the organization. There's a couple of things here. One is that um, I can remember working in one organization where there were two leaders, both both senior leaders on the same board, and one of them absolutely um, very people-centered, very tuned into wanting to create development for his team and make sure they got the coaching they needed and they grew and they got the opportunities and all that sort of stuff. The other guy, very autocratic, people were developed in his ilk mm-hmm. so they, they they even physically looked like him it was quite um, <laughs> surreal really
0: yeah.
1: but within the organization people wanted to go and work I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want to spill the beans but people would want to go and work on his team and they wouldn't want to work on the other guy's team mm-hmm. and I think that really shows about what 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 is catching within an organization and to follow that up as well, I remember once going to a presentation by the HR director at Procter & Gamble, and they talked about how they'd introduced a coaching culture into the organisation. Mm-hmm. Now, traditionally, you always go from the top down, but on this occasion, they didn't. The board weren't going to back this. So, so they started working in teams, developing leaders' skills in coaching, to be able to coach their teams and create this coaching culture, and they started. And it is about the tipping point, I guess. They got to the point where so many teams were doing this and reaping the benefits of that of that coaching culture that eventually somebody from the board tapped her on the shoulder and said, "We want some of that. Yeah. <laughs> Can we have some of that?" Because they'd started to see. For their own eyes the benefits of that this was bringing the organization so it is possible to do from the from the middle and cascade out it doesn't always have to be um from the top down either
0: are there natural characteristics that define a leader to certain people naturally lean into leadership better than others or, or can anyone grow and develop and evolve into a leader in your view
1: um so I think, I definitely think people can grow and evolve into being a leader. I think you have to want to be, so, I mean, I think I said earlier, I think we're all leaders. I do think we're all leaders, but within the context of an organization, mm. I think it is something that you you want to have. I can think of leaders I've worked with who I would call reluctant leaders who maybe weren't conscious of the impact they were having and, and of their talent, actually. And, and I can think of one person I coached who, is now a very, he's on on the executive board now, but at the time I coached him, he was just kind of rising through the ranks and hadn't appreciated what he had to give. And once, and that's where coaching really helped him because it started to open his eyes up to what was possible and that he really had worth and value to offer the organization. And the coaching really helped him grow in that regard and step up and be comfortable. He was uncomfortable with his power initially. He found that quite tricky but he's much more comfortable with that but he's made a really good leader on the back of that because of his ability to empathize and understand what it's like to not necessarily appreciate what you've got to offer yourself yeah. so um yeah i think it can be learned and 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 i say learned rather than taught because i think taught implies <laughs> I'm gonna stand at the room and do chalk and talk around what a good leader is. I think it's it benefits from, from being learned through experience and it's how you harness those experiences that ensure people do learn and and, and grow mm. really, which is why I think coaching is so invaluable.
0: Do you think there are fundamental differences between a leader of a, an entrepreneurial leader, someone who's built the business from the ground up and someone who has made a career out of being a leader in other organizations, if you like? Do you think there's a, in your experience, a different approach, a different view of the world, or is it too complex to offer a, a singular answer to that, if you like?
1: I, well, I think, stimulating in me right now, I, th- I mean, what I observe and notice about organizations today, and these are, these are really big organizations and their public sector as well as private sector, mm-hmm. um, is that they are, are wanting people who are more entrepreneurial in their mindset. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because the entrepreneurial mindset is more adept at picking up opportunities and running with them. Um, there are some disadvantages because <laughs> they tend to run away and and and, and want to make things happen straight away so this is kind of sometimes you have to think things through a bit more and be yeah. more mindful of things but but there is something around entrepreneur an entrepreneurial approach can really benefit people in organizations but your question was around leadership so um, you know, The organizations I've worked with, what I've learned and and what I espouse to as well, is that leadership leadership is an art in itself. And certainly, I mean, I spent quite a lot of time at Tesco's and their approach was they called it the T of leadership, where um, there was the the downward part of the T, which is all about your expertise and what you were good at and being a technical expert they didn't want leaders like that. They they had leaders like that in their organizations in appropriate places, but overall, what they were looking for were leaders who could do the top part of the T, and that is being able to work in any part of the business and lead. So they had that leadership capability, ability to engage people, ability to respond to the challenges they were being faced with, um, ability to create a vision and, and a sense of direction and where we're going all of that was valid in whatever part of the business you worked in, despite what your technical expertise is. And I think that applies to lots of organizations. And I think that's also applies to entrepreneurs. Many entrepreneurs will have had several businesses. And I can think of one I know at the moment who has about five different businesses, and they're all quite contrasting businesses. And it's about how you lead those businesses and how you generate and develop those businesses. that's, That's the common threads rather than the nature of the actual business itself
0: mary just before we go we always ask our guests to leave listeners with one or two key takeaways that they can go away and use in their business um, i wondered what those were from your perspective today
1: okay so um i did i have given this some thought and it, it's, there's like quite a few things i think i need to turn turn to my answers here but um i think first and foremost you know we are in extraordinary times we are being challenged but we're but we're always being challenged as leaders in some shape or form you know we're it's all about the pandemic at the moment but next year or the year after it'll be about something else then as well there's always something going to be happening so i think to recognize that is really important as a leader so i would say um as a leader, whatever's going on around you, whatever circumstances you're facing, stay in touch with your purpose. And purpose is really important because it's around what, what is behind you doing what you're doing. Yeah. Why do you show up in the world and want to contribute in the way you do? And we, we all have our own individual purpose that, that we do that for. So stay in touch with your purpose because that will help guide you in these extraordinary circumstances, whatever they might be now or in the future. And also stay in touch with your people because you as a leader don't have to have all the answers. Your people will have the answers and your customers and your stakeholders will have the answers. So stay in touch with your people. Practice self compassion because I think my experience of working with leaders is they can be their own worst critics. Yes. And, uh, you know, just because you're CEO doesn't make you immune to imposter syndrome. So stay and practice with self compassion, but also compassion for others yeah. because you never know what people are going through. And um, be curious rather than judgmental. I think curiosity is the key to really using whatever life throws at us and using it as an opportunity to learn from it rather than judging and uh, dismissing. So I think, I think those are the things that I will leave you with today.
0: Mary, thank you very much for your time today. It's been a great conversation.
1: Thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed it myself. Thank you.
0: Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about what Mary does, please go to marygregory.com. That's mary y.com You'll also find the web address and the notes that accompany this podcast. And as I mentioned in the introduction, please do take a moment to review us. We genuinely appreciate it, and it does make a difference. And if you'd like to go and subscribe, please go to principlesandleadership.com. And if you'd like to propose a topic or a guest for the new PNL, please also go to Principlesandleadership.com, fill out the form, and we'll respond back to you. So I'm Paul, host of the New PNL. And thank you once again for listening and have a great day.